Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. Is there anything that anyone is burning to say before the next activity? Yeah. Anger? I can totally tell you my own biased opinion about anger. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you, you know, truth about anger, because who knows? Um, so, this is going to take a couple of minutes because it means uh, introducing an aspect of nonviolent communication that may not be known by all. How many of you have been exposed to nonviolent communication before? Okay, that's almost all of you. So the fundamental baseline premise at the root of nonviolent communication is that everything that anyone ever does is an attempt to attend to a need, some human need, where the need itself is common to all humans but how we attend to it may be very different. Um, if you take that concept all the way, to me, personally, that also means somewhere the unconscious choice that we make about which emotion we're going to go to at any given moment, that also is an attempt to attend to a need. Is, am, am I making sense so far? So then the very interesting question comes up, which is, why do we choose anger over sorrow? In what way do we believe that anger will attend to a need? Which needs? And all this happens obviously subterraneously because we don't sit there and go, hmm, anger, sorrow, let's do anger. It all happens <laughs> subterraneously, but there is something somewhere in there that is making a choice. Some of the things that I've identified, since this is not a workshop about anger, instead of a discovery, I'm going to just tell you what I have uncovered through my experimentation with people. Some of the relevant needs that I see are power and taking myself seriously. In other words... If I go to a place of anger rather than sorrow, there's some way that it feels powerful. It has a lot of energy. So it feels like I'm doing something. And it feels like I'm taking myself seriously, like I'm, I really mean it. It's not just some wishy-washy thing. I am really going to do something about what matters to me. Yeah, does that ring true? Then the question, if I come to that place, then I can ask myself, is it actually meeting those needs when I go to anger? And, you know, my answer in general to people, if what you do is meeting your needs, don't change it. Only change what you're doing if it's not meeting your needs. It's really simple. So if it's not meeting your needs, 
then you can start investigating the anger. Because what we usually do with anger is we either kind of like go with it, let it run us, or we try to suppress it. But very rarely do we look at anger as information and develop curiosity about what is, what is in this anger? What's going on? What's, what's the information here? So I would say this is the practice that would bring you towards more freedom. Not that you're supposed to not be angry. It's that I really want to understand what, what is in this anger. And there is another aspect to anger, which is that it protects me from vulnerability. And um, our culture overall has a bias against vulnerability. I personally, my own spiritual path, which is not Buddhism, my personal spiritual path is the path of vulnerability. I've been on this path for 20, more than 20 years. So I've gone quite far. It's not a super common path. <laughs> um, and it's unequivocal for me that more vulnerability, more willingness to engage and expose the vulnerability. It's not to feel the vulnerability. We all feel vulnerable. The question is, what do we do with it? We can hide it, we can skip over it, or we can just bring it to the world. My experience is the more I bring it, the freer I become. I had an experience for many, many years of having this image of... Um, standing somewhere, I'm sure it's taken literally from my childhood, but I'm standing somewhere and there's a group of people standing around me and they're pointing a finger and laughing. Does anybody else carry images like that? Yeah. Okay. And, you know, it haunted me for years, kind of like being ridiculous or something. And then one day, I don't know how it happened, the image came, but instead of the usual thing, in the image, I was standing there with tears streaming down my face, telling the people how much it was hurting. And the moment I was able to do that, they lost their power. Completely, they didn't have any more power, because what else could they do to me? I already exposed the thing that I was most supposed to hide. And the image left. After that one time, I haven't had that image again. It's like I resolved it. <coughs> so, how is that for an answer? <laughs> my, my own guess that the in, in anger there is something we really care about combined uh, with fear of the actual experience that we're having and of the helplessness that might occur if we don't do this. Now, it's easy for me to say because I'm not prone to anger. I've never been prone to anger my whole life. So there's a way in which I want to be humble about what I'm saying, and what do I know? 
I, I mean, when I say, what do I know, I, I, it's not just a matter of speech. I really mean it. I, I'm very humble about it. I, I haven't had to work hard to transmute anger, so. I want to just... Um, the angry guy speaking. <laughs> no, I want to I unpack one phrase that Mickey said that's very powerful that even for those who have studied and practiced nonviolent communication can be misconstrued. And I know it's something that both of us care very deeply about, which is when Mickey said, uh, and I might, I might paraphrase, but um, if what you're doing is meeting your needs, keep doing it. Don't change it unless it's not meeting your needs. There's a, there's a, there's a fundamental recognition of of what our needs are in that statement that might not be present at first mm-hmm. glance, and that is that one of my most core basic needs is my need to care for and contribute to others. Because without that understanding, that statement can be taken to mean that I'm just meeting my needs. It doesn't work for you, that's your problem. Which is not the intention of the statement. Thank it's you. A, it's a deep recognition that as a human being, we are relational and, and connected and social creatures, and that one of our most basic needs is that sense of the tribe and caring for one another. There's a, there's a saying, in a second, there's a saying in the Talmud, which is one of the original texts of Judaism. Um, I'm not going to be able to translate it well into English, but you'll understand the meaning. The cow wants to give milk more than the calf wants to receive it. And it's something that for me captures that deep well within all of us of wanting to give, wanting to contribute, wanting to care for life. That is there under the most, even under the most extreme circumstances it stays. Yeah. You? So as leaders, how do we balance, you know, the reactive anger versus a responsive anger? I mean, there are times when, you know, someone might not deliver on something related to work, an assignment, and it could be a repeat thing where you're a leader and you have to give constructive feedback. But since they haven't taken responsibility, if you've been a supportive leader and you want to be compassionate, because I've seen it both ways. I've seen other. I've seen people, including myself. We fly off the handle. Yeah. May, may I may I step sure. in? Because um, I I kind of have a sense of where you're going, and it, 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 there's a way in which when you have an only one day of workshop, you make choices about what you cover and what you don't cover, and um, and and so this this kind of thing that you're talking about is not exactly within the scope of what we wanted to say, but. I do want to say that um, most of us don't know how to give feedback. We know how to criticize. But, we, but le- learning actually how to do feedback, which is useful for the person receiving it, requires overcoming any amount of anger. To the point where you can speak of your anger as information to the person, but not be in the anger. If that makes that, does that distinction make sense to you? 
So, yeah. so the purpose of feedback is to let people know about the effect of their actions. That is where learning occurs. No amount of shaming or criticism or judgment ever helps anyone learn because we contract in the face of, of uh, shaming or judgment. But if I can tell you, you know, I want you to know what happened when you didn't do this or did that or whatever. I went through about three days of anger that took me a whole lot of work to overcome. I'm not feeling angry right now. I just want you to know this was the effect. Do you see the difference? It's, ob it's then observational and informative. And the person can go, wow, I didn't realize that it would have that effect. But it's not the same as I'm angry at you for having done it. But that's like a huge bubble that I really doubt we would get into today. Do you, do you think differently? All right. Yeah. Okay. One more, and then let's do an activity. Over there. Thank you for, whole, for doing the mic thing. I just wanted to respond to you. When you said, um, we're all sort of wondering, will humanity survive, and we don't know, my response is, no, we will not survive as we are. We have to go through a very powerful alchemical birthing, kind of like a chrysalis, to birth a new way of being as humanity, if we are, or as to survive, something like that. I still, I like what you're saying. I still know that all of it is in the future, and by definition, we don't know the future. So I, I want to stand completely willing to not know what will or will not happen to humanity, this or anything else. Regardless of how much I like what you said, it's still not something I can say I know. All right. Want to move your bodies a little bit? Okay. So... I'm going to describe to you an activity that you will do in your body um, in groups of three. And if you don't divide exactly into three, you can add a fourth person to the group. Um, and in this group, and I will demonstrate it in a moment, I first want to describe it. In this group... One person has a turn. One person is their support person. The support person, their task is to be available, lovingly, to receive the person who is doing the work with nonverbal empathy. The person who is doing the work um, now has the, a third person. That third person then symbolizes a situation or an experience which challenges you to step into leadership and where you don't. Where so far you have it. 
And that's the material that you will be working with. Now I would like to have um, three volunteers to show you how to sculpt it. Um, One, two, three, right here. Okay. So, which one of which one of you has a situation that clearly comes to mind? You do. Okay. So, uh, let's say you are the empathy person. Give her a gesture to do with her body that if she does that gesture, you will register it as empathy. Okay, great. And, and please, just for ease for everyone, let's stay away from actually touching each other's bodies. Because some people like it, some people don't like it, and it gets all complicated. So let's just do gestures that stay within each person's sphere of their body. So any time in the activity where you need support, you turn to her, and when you turn to her, it's her signal to give you this gesture, and then you can take in the support. It's similar to where we were doing the morning and then we went to the resilience practice when we needed it. It's a similar thing. Now, give her a gesture that symbolizes the situation. Just something to do with her body, a simple gesture that symbolizes the situation. And you can tell her in one sentence, not more than that, what the meaning of this gesture is. My way is the only way. And who, who is she? She's a person who has power over me. Perfect. Okay. Now, you now pick a gesture that symbolizes how you currently respond in this situation. Perfect. <laughs> you see, that's the lovely thing about doing it in gestures is there's no need for stories and telling things. It's like so stark. It's immediately available. So, now you stand in front of each other. Uh, take a little bit more distance. When you are ready, take a step forward. And then you take a step forward. You do your gesture. You do yours. And then step out. And if this was stimulating and you need support, you turn to her. If you don't need it, you don't need it. She's still there. You know she's there. When you're ready again, do it again. Step forward. Every time? After her. After. Yeah. You wait for her. And I do the gesture. Yeah. Time. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and step back. Now, you do this repeatedly. There's no telling how long it will take. Um, which means that when you break into groups, we don't know for sure that everybody will get a turn. It's more important for a turn to be complete than for everyone to have equal time. And guess what? Regardless of what role you play, you go through something. When you feel ready to shift, but not before, and you feel it in your body, then 
you pick a new gesture that symbolizes what a leadership response would be like. I'm not going to ask you to do it right now because you haven't actually gone through the process. It would be like pretend. But when you are ready, you will know what is the gesture that symbolizes your stepping into leadership in this situation. And then you do that just a couple of times to anchor it, and then you're done. She does it right. No, she does the same thing. The same thing. So the challenger just keeps challenging. Yes. And you will find it harder and harder to do. Yeah, it was already hard the first time. <laughs> I don't like the way that felt. So I'm the one that may eventually change. Yeah. That's the whole point. <laughs> that that <laughs> that dream of if I am a good enough girl or a good enough boy and I wait long enough, the world will change around me. Mm-mm. Ain't going to happen. And it's not a way of, you know, putting this person down or anything. It's a way of stepping into caring for the whole, remember? Taking responsibility for the whole. Caring for everyone includes caring for this person. So you will find your way. It's not a small thing to shift that, but your body will know. Clear? All right. There's a little bit of confusion for me. Okay. In... um, more in the change of uh, gesture. Okay, let's um, let's let me step into your role for a second, sure. and let's say that it's this is my situation, and I am done with doing this. I feel ready. I feel ready. So I'm I'm when I'm ready, I'm ready, and the creativity is there. And when I'm creative and I'm thinking about what would symbolize. What gesture would symbolize that kind of leadership? Let's try it. Okay? This feels powerful. It doesn't feel like succumbing or appeasing or anything. It's powerful, but it's also caring. And that gesture can change again? Uh, eventually in your life, but for right now, you just do it. <laughs> you just do it a couple of times to anchor the feeling in your body of a new way of responding, and then your turn is done. So the first gesture you do as many times as necessary until you're ready to shift, and you know peop- you, you may cry, you may make sounds, all kinds of things could happen then when you're ready to shift, you will know that you're ready to shift. You do the new gesture a couple of times and you're done. Okay? Okay, let me ask this. How many people have a sense that you really get it? Okay, that's enough for when you are in a group you will see. I think explaining it again is not necessarily going to help. I, I have a sense that enough people get it and, and they, will, they will help you. Any other specific questions from anyone about this? If there's time. If there's time. So if it's really important for you to take a turn, try to be first. 
It's never once not worked. <laughs> Groups figure it out. Um, I would say about 25 minutes. You think that's too much? Yeah. So uh, some groups will go through everybody. Most groups will not. Mickey, I want to add a couple things. Okay. Oops. I just want to add one or two um, pointers for this. Um, so one is the recognition that we're working at a different level in the psyche. Right? When we get below the stories and the linguistics, we're working on another level. And that means that the invitation is for you to be really attuned to what's happening in your body. Yeah, taking out the stories strips something. You don't need, it doesn't need to make sense. Okay? And that's not just for the person who's acting. For each person in your role, stay attuned to what's happening for you. Embody that energy. Notice, notice your experience. Okay? What will support that attunement is taking your time. Specifically, the person who's acting and specifically when you're receiving empathy. Mm -hmm. So when you turn towards that support person, let yourself take it in. That's a, use it as a practice of resilience and let yourself actually land there and receive it. It's not just, okay, empathy, now I'm going to go back. You know. Yeah, and ideally do it between turns, not within a turn. Within a turn, it, it just the choreography can get uh, a little complicated. You were trying to get it while turning away. As much as possible, do it uh, between times when you step forward and back. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you have to name the gesture? No. no. You're, you're just giving the you're giving the one sentence thumbnail of, you know, you're my aunt and you're an alcoholic. And that's, that's enough so that the other person knows some flavor of the energy that they're embodying with their challenging gesture and you know what your gesture is. It, it helps the person to know and if it's important for you not to say anything, then don't say anything. Yeah. Yeah. They will still do the gestures yeah. and you will still get the meaning. Don't caretake the other people in, in, in your group. Only sculpt what's important for you. So it's 2.05. We'll take 25 minutes. So feel free to spread out into the, the foyer out there. Um, aim for groups of three. And if you, if you... We'll be sitting here. If you need support, if your group is confused, come get us.
Raise your hand if your group needs someone. Raise it high. And, and Okay, so why doesn't one group of two split into these two groups so you have two groups of three? Raise your hand if you still need another person. Just keep it up until you get your group of three. Okay. So, as we begin discussing and learning from this activity together, just a few questions to start. How many of you, irrespective of which role you were in, how many of you experienced an internal shift during this activity? Awesome. How many of you were surprised at what you felt or experienced in your body? And maybe one more. How many of you had an insight about something that you can do differently that you uh, are excited or curious about in your life? Awesome. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So we'd love to hear some of your um, uh, insights, questions, uh, or comments about this activity. And uh, just coming back to something Mickey said at the beginning of the day, in terms of um, each of our comfort level with speaking... So recognize if you're someone who speaks freely and easily to, to allow space and, and vice versa. If you're someone who doesn't, to see what it, would, what it feels like to, to step forward and risk that. Uh, and uh, if you're someone who's spoken already today, to maybe leave space for others who haven't shared yet. So that we're gathering the wisdom from everyone. Susan and Don, uh, I asked them to give the gestures that I couldn't assign them Mm. and they were just so brilliant Mm. and the triangle that happened between us was so powerful I couldn't have done it if I I couldn't have assigned anything that good so it was a threesome (laughs) (laughs) beautiful that's touching thank you Other experiences, comments, or questions, please. Yeah. Hi, I'm Kathy. Um, my experience was one um, the responsibility of each role. Like, I felt very connected by taking the role when someone tells you, you know, mm. like, I need support or you're going to be the person who's going to trigger me. So, mm. that, like, I really took it seriously mm. and it kind of like helped me to see where is where is my part in these situations mm-hmm. mm. the other great thing was um well the shift like it was very clear what i need to do um what i don't need to keep doing um but also the feedback mm. you know like i could see that these two other people could see me through mm. and they just kind of 
gave me what I needed to hear, you know, like mm. it actually was surprising as you were just saying that if mm. you hear something that I wasn't expecting and I was like, oh my gosh. And mm. I could also see on the body, the body language mm -hmm. on the people when they were doing the exercise, um, the fear, mm -hmm. but at the same time, how the courage mm -hmm. to face the fear and go mm -hmm. through it. So. In the way back corner. Um, I just noticed how gleeful I felt when, and it grew and grew each time I was receiving the empathy gesture, and just I really let that register in my yeah. body and how joyous and almost like a feeling of celebration, just glee, mm -hmm. delight, and. First it was relief, but there was a continuum, and it went all yeah. the way to just wanting to dance. You know, so happy. Yay. Instead of returning the microphone, let's see who the next person is. I just I want to kind of just tease out something connected to what you just shared, and Kathy, what you just shared, which is just this um, this truth that that we need each other. Mm -hmm. And and the myth that we have that we that we carry of the leader as the the kind of the lone hero or heroine right who holds it all and does it all, and and the the um, the reality, which is something very different, and the beauty, and the strength and the delight of that of actually having connection and support, um, and using that in the service of leadership. Be before the next person receives it, um, in the last year and a half, I have been out publicly and consciously about how much support I have. So people get it, what it takes. Uh, because I, li I live pretty much against the grain all the time. So I have five people that I have daily contact with. Uh, when I travel, for example, I end every day with writing an email to, the, to these five people. Um, I also have about 10 or 15 other people that I have regular intimate contact with, ranging from a few times a week to um, once a month, and probably about 100 other people that I can access intimacy with all over the world. Without this, I would not be able to continue. Hi, I'm Pauline. Thank you for just sharing that because I know it's not from the exercise, but what came up for me in the morning was that to come into leadership, I need to ask for support and mentorship. So what you just shared now is you know, very poignant and I really appreciate knowing that it's okay to ask for support. And in our triad, all three of us agreed that it was very powerful and joyful to be giving the empathy Mm -hmm. So me knowing that people enjoy giving support, I think will make it a little easier mm -hmm. for me to ask for that support. Mm -hmm. uh, you can just look inside yourself. How is it for you to give support? I love it. Why deprive other people of the opportunity? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
Uh, and what I was originally going to say when I raised my hand was just how much I appreciated having a sharing after each of us did the the challenge, the mm-hmm. embodiment. Mm-hmm. Because when I was able to chat with the group about what came up for me and put it into words, I felt that connected mm-hmm. the embodied experience with a way for me to to bring it more into action in my life. So mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that like left right brain connection that mm-hmm. happened mm-hmm. after the embodiment. Thank you. Thanks. Shall we proceed? Yeah. yeah. All right. So it's time to talk about power. <laughs> so So the 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 rest of the, of the afternoon is about different aspects of power. First, I want to talk a little bit about the power that being in a position of leadership creates. Um, by virtue of someone being in a position of leadership, other people give that person more power. For example, right now, Oren and I are sitting here, we have more power. The words that we say carry more weight in this room than the words that anybody else says for now. When we're someplace else, it may not happen, but the situation that we are in prioritizes what we have to say. Do do you see what I mean? This is kind of like obvious and it's structural and it isn't always that obvious and it is always present. The person who is in a position of leadership has more power. The more official the leadership, the truer it is. And when that leadership or power also carries the possibility of rewarding or punishing other people, the power increases even more. How many of you are bosses? Okay. If you are an enlightened boss, whatever that means, it's very easy to convince yourself that because you are a good-hearted, kind, open, collaborative you name it, add whatever things to the list, that erases your power. It actually doesn't. You may forget that you have the power, but the person who reports to you will never forget it. They always know that if they step too much out of line, there can be something negative that will happen to them. Is this shocking to anyone? <laughs> I was once having a conversation. It's not easy. The, the more people develop spiritually, the harder it is for them to own that they have power. I once had a conversation for a long time with someone who was in a position of uh, certifying other people. And I was, and you know the distinction between power over and power with? Anybody not familiar with it? 
Okay. Glad, glad to know this. So power over means that I am going to do what works for me without necessarily caring about the effects on you. It isn't in and of itself how much power I have. It's how I use the power. A lot of people confuse the two and they say, I have power over another person. Technically, the correct thing that I would say is, I have structural power and therefore if I choose to, I have the option of exercising that power over other people. But power over is a choice, it's not a situation. Structural power is the situation. Is, it, is, is what I'm saying making sense? Power with, exercising my power with other people means that in the very act of taking action to attend to my needs, I am also holding your needs and your ability to make decisions with me. So it's not about care. Example, parents. Most parents care about their children and are devoted and committed to their children's needs. But most parents don't think that it's part of their job to include their children in the decision-making. So they exercise power over the children even while wanting to care for the children. That's just the structure of the way that parenting usually unfolds. So let's, let's separate out structural power, care, and whether I use my power over or with another person. Is the distinction now clear? So this person who was certifying people, I told him, you know, the reality of the situation is that you have structural power, which means that if you wanted to, you could arbitrarily decide, I'm certifying you, I'm not certifying you. His answer, I would never do that. I don't work this way. I work with people. We make the decisions together. I use power with. I said, that's because of who you are as an individual. But structurally, you have the power to do this arbitrarily if you so choose. But I never would do that. And he never was able to settle into owning and recognizing the brutal reality that he had the power it was within his range of options to choose whether to exercise it or not. But he had it. I'm curious if that, if that is clear to people. When a person... Yeah. No, the brutal reality, what I mean by the brutal reality is that the way, when there is structural power, the person with less power, um, I'll say differently, the person with more power has the possibility of delivering consequences to the other person. That's the brutality of it. Whether they are going to or not is secondary. The structural reality is that the person with structural power can make 
the other person's life miserable. In many conditions, in many contexts, they can fire them. The boss can fire the employee. The employee cannot fire the boss. The employee can leave, but that is not the same power as firing another person. When the employee leaves, they lose their livelihood. They lose their connections. They lose whatever meaning the job had. The boss never has to face that in relation to the employee. The relationship is unequal. And this is a... a, um, Not all relationships have the exact same type of structural power. I want for us to recognize that when we have power, it changes the relative weight of our needs and the cost of choice. It changes the relative weight of our needs and the cost of the choices that we make. No person can ever literally take choice away from another person or give choice to another person. To, to use an extreme example, somebody points a gun to my head and says, tell me who your friends are or I'll kill you. Do I have choice? Yes. Totally. And how do I even know that? If you look at human history, there have been always a minority of of people who, in this context, said, kill me. I'm not going to tell you who my friends are. That's happened time and time and time again. It means it's a choice. Now, is the choice lovely? No. Is the range of options what I would wish for a human being to have? No. So I can make choice more difficult but I can never take choice away from another person. Still, the cost of choice when I have power is far smaller than the potential cost of choice if I don't have power. Is that making sense to everyone? Then the question is, if I am in the position of leadership and I want to lead in the way that cares for the whole, in the way that cares for everyone. And I know that my position limits the options and the sense of freedom that the other person has. That puts some responsibility on me to create the conditions where the other person feels more free. More free to express and most especially more free to say no to me. I want to pause here just for this last bit to be digested. Want to add anything? I'm assuming you're going to get to this, but there's there's the other side also of of not of being on the other side. Right of not having, not being in the position of leadership with structural power, and the cha- and the particular challenges mm-hmm. that, that that faces. But is anyone unclear about the last thing that Mickey said in terms of the responsibility that is entailed by being in the, in a position of leadership and having structural power to uh, support the people with less structural power to feel free? Is that unclear to anyone? I had a client once that gave me 
a crystal clear sentence that I've been quoting ever since. He said, power, having power means you rarely hear no. <laughs> and so, if, and he, not hearing no is, a, is something that can lull us into believing that there is really truly a yes. Because when, let's say, the employee says yes without meaning it, they are going to do everything in their power for you to not guess that they are not telling you the truth. All of us have been trained that when a boss asks for something, you say yes. You recognize that? If you want to lead, and I'm using the boss-employee example because it's clear and stark, not that all leadership positions are the same, but the dynamic is, is very clear in that relationship and can be applied to other types of relationships. If I want um, a, a nonviolent leadership, collaborative leadership with a person, and I have the power, my task is to lower the barrier for the other person to be able to say no to me. It's kind of like this, and then once you get it, it's like so clear. Any questions or comments about this? Yeah. Can everybody hear me? A red flag for me is, yeah, when you're not hearing, use the word again, feedback, but Yeah. And then how do you get how do you, how do you get around that? Yeah. Yeah. So most situa <coughs> excuse me <coughs> excuse me most situations are not yes no right so could you say something about the ways that that no is more likely to be manifest like how would you know if you're hearing no a false no or a or a, does that make my question make sense no I'm not getting it <laughs> I I am you are well like I think so yeah. So let me rephrase it and see if I can. So if you're asking someone to do something, and one thing that they might say is like, well, no, I'm not going to do that, that would be a very, very direct no. In my experience, I've been in, uh, in management for many, many years. Rarely, and to your point, rarely do people ever say no, like, no, I'm not going to do that. But yet there can be other kinds of no, and I think, to the point that this gentleman was saying, it's like if you were saying lower the where you want people to give you feedback, they're probably never going to say no, but they might give you other kinds of feedback mm -hmm. that would indicate that yeah you are getting you are 
that the dialogue is there. Yeah. I wondered if yeah, does yeah, that yeah. makes sense now. Yes. So uh, hold on to the mic because who knows okay. what will happen. Um, one of one of the lines that I have developed, kind of like flippant but really deep, is I say, if you're a manager, don't take yes for an answer. Um, it's if you, it's kind of like if you have any any sense that there's really a no there. Invite, invite it, open it. All right, you're saying yes, but somehow I have a sense that you're hesitating. Can you tell me more about what's going on there? I think th- I think there are two there are two there are two levels to this um, that are important to kind of recognize. One is relationship building and creating a culture, and the other is. Uh, the specifics of how you frame the dialogue and the invitations. Okay, and as you can see, those are different. Those are different um, uh, areas to develop in 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 the relationship, whether it's a workplace relationship or another. One is a meta level, M-E-T-A, where you're having conversations about how you want to work together, what creates the most efficiency and quality in in communication and working together, your desire for feedback, um, how you hold dissent, all of those kinds of conversations that are a process of educating and shaping the culture of a relationship in a workplace, right? So there's that level. The other level is in the actual moment of looking at a project, asking for support, asking for someone to do something, is being able to make it easy for them to say no or to share information about what's going to make it difficult. And so that has to do with the kinds of questions you ask. Whether you ask, um, is this something that you think you can do? Can you get this to me by next Friday? Versus, are there other projects you have that would make it difficult for you to get this to me by Friday? Do you see the difference? Yes. So that's the way to, to think along those lines to elicit the information that's going to give you a wider view of their situation. So what I'm hearing is just make it sort of a, a well, actually probably address it in both ways. One yes. is having the structural conversations when there's no issues yes. so that you can talk about it in a way that's neutral and there's it's not right. ignited by some right. specific situation. Yes. And then the other one is maybe developing some words to mm-hmm. sort of assume uh, the, yeah. con- the uh, assume there's going to be a no or something else and invite <laughs> right. it you know saying you know here, so, here's my here's my idea for how we move forward with this with this why don't you poke some holes in it yeah okay great thank you all right then you already mentioned this thing that i i call leadership from below what you what if you are in the relationship you are the person with less formal power, less structural power. That does not mean you can't lead. It only means that leadership would require you to compensate for your lack of external power with more internal and relational capacity. Does that make sense? I'll say it again and I'll say more things. I'll say slightly differently. If you have power, and I don't, official power, you have no incentive to listen to me. I have an incentive to listen to you because my livelihood depends on it. But, I don't have, but you don't have any incentive to listen to me. 
The only reason you will listen to me is the power of my being, the power of the relationship, the power of my ideas, the power of how I approach you, the power of what we do together, the quality of my presence, my humanity. If I have less power, less external power, I need to cultivate my internal leadership orientation even more to be able to create conditions where we can truly collaborate. More and more. And the key is to depersonalize it. To focus on the shared purpose that we have. Remember this thing? Leadership is about responsibility for the whole. What is the whole? There is some shared shared purpose that we are somehow operating towards together. It's in service to that that I take my leadership. In care for you and me together working to fulfill this purpose. Whether you have more power or less becomes secondary when I step into that larger intentionality. That's enough. I mean, yeah, there are you know, days and weeks and the rest of life. But it's enough to plant the seeds and um, we want to give you now an opportunity to practice with this a little bit. And there are two, two ways that you can practice depending on how much challenge you want for yourself in the practice. One is you can take a situation in which there is a power difference between you and another person and you look at what are all the needs that are involved. What are your needs? What are the needs of the other person? Whether you're more power, less power, just kind of like take it apart, put all the needs on the table, and choose how would you want to approach the situation. And the people in the group can help you with that. The second, if you want to challenge yourself more, is you can do a role play. So it's not just thinking about it and choosing how you want to respond, but trying out a response. If you're the person with more power, you know, you can play around with how do you invite more dissent, more collaboration. If you're the person with less power, how do you support the whole in moving forward? This you can play with each other in role play and just see how it feels to try out different ways of playing with it. One or the other or both is what you can do. You want to add anything? We're going to give some more instructions about, about those. I wasn't going to. No. But if you want to, clearly you think that this is not enough. Well, I don't, I don't know. Um, my, my general belief is that no matter how much instructions we give, people end up doing what they're going to do. <laughs> and it seems like it's working for yes. them in the end. So but I guess the two things that I would say are, one, 
think about both of those now and get a sense of which one you'd like to explore for yourself. So that's the first step. Now the second step is, is, let me just say the sentence and then ask your question because they might be the same. The second step is, if you're not clear about how to do the activity you've chosen, please ask a question now so that we can clarify it. Just wanted to clarify the two options. One is yes. discussing power dynamics and the other is role-playing. Yes, and, and, the, and the discussing is, looking, is, is specifically examining the situation from this perspective of what are the needs, what are all of the needs at play and what's the shared purpose in the situation? How can you use that exploration to identify like what are what are the vantage points and what are the leverage points and how and how can we approach it uh, in service of the whole? And then yes, the second one is actually role playing a situation. So not not with gesture, but actually with words and play, and acting it out, with one person being the person pl- you know practicing, someone else being their foil, and perhaps a third person just being a, a, an observer to op- to offer feedback afterwards. Or, or can step in and offer support as needed. Yeah. Any questions? Two or threes again? Sure. I would say twos and threes. I think the the thing is, if you are twos, um, and you are in a role play, there isn't someone outside Thank who you. can look at it and yes. and offer you support if if you're going down a garden path. I think what I what I meant and can clarify is if you're if you're doing option one, then it's e- then that's it might be sufficient to have two people, although obviously having a third you have more more brainstorm mm-hmm. and creativity. But yeah, if you're doing a role play, three is recommended. Yeah. So um, this isn't a question directly about the exercise; it's about power dynamics, and so I'd, yeah. so can I ask it, and you don't have to answer right now I don't, I don't know i feel like it's, it's go for just it there. okay so seems like um in the in power dynamics you talk about power structural power that the person let's say the employee employer the example the employee might figure out ways to get structural power make himself or herself more indispensable uh create a coalition with other employees, so on and so forth. So there could be something about in the, in the culture about those without power trying to get the structural power creeping into things. And I'm, I'm just looking at a situation in my own life where I'm looking at, well, how do I do this nonviolently? But I'm kind of resigned about that. So I'm looking at, well, how do I get some power over in the, or structural power in this situation? And I'm just wondering how that kind of plays into things. Um, I would be happy to explore this with you in more detail, but I'm thinking if we t- take it offline first, okay. it would because to kind of like tease it all apart right now with everyone, um, I, I prefer not. Is that okay with you? Okay. And I'll just maybe add one comment now just to frame it just in terms of the, the group, which is I think one thing that can be helpful is to recognize that there's a choice that you're facing around how to engage, whether you're using power over, power with, 
working nonviolently or collaboratively, and that choice is an attempt to meet needs. Right. And, and whatever the exploration, that that would be the lens that we begin to enter it. Okay. So just that's an opening. Okay. Thanks. And um, the suggestion I would make is that you do this activity for about 15, let's say 15 minutes, and then take a 15-minute break. So we'll ring the bell to invite you into a break. You will not you will want to continue with the activity and think that you don't need the break and then when I urge you to take the break when we ask you to take a break because otherwise when the break ends you'll go oh but I didn't go to the bathroom or something like this so about f in about 15 minutes we'll ring the bell to take a break All right, home stretch. First thing, is your name Natalie over there? There's an expression in Hebrew, which is my native language. If so-and-so uh, wasn't born, we would have had to invent them. Natalie once again said, what do you mean by power? And I realized I did not define it, and I would like to. Uh, because it's actually, many people find my definition of power liberating. It's, it's simple. Power, as I see it, is the capacity to mobilize resources to attend to needs. One more time. Power is the capacity to mobilize resources to attend to needs. It's really, 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 really simple and stark when you look at it this way. And when you look at it this way, you realize that without power, you will die. And then when you look at the power of infants, it's boils down to smiling and crying because they cannot feed themselves. They depend on somebody else responding to their cues. <coughs> Those are the resources that they have available to them that they can mobilize. As adults, we have plenty more resources. So the last segment... I see that we, apparently there's a bunch of people that have had enough already and decided to leave. It's kind of sad because this last part is something that I feel very passionate about wanting to share with people, especially as we think about leadership. And such is the life. It's the topic of privilege, which is um, a particular form of power. It's a particular form of structural power that has a lot of charge to it for most people. And so as a conclusion to the day, we wanted to offer you a frame to use around privilege. 
And then uh, one last activity before we part. And the frame is this. First of all, a distinction between privilege and attitude. Attitude. A lot of times people find it really uncomfortable to look at having privilege because somehow they associate having privilege with being a bad person. Has any of you ever felt that way? That if somebody is pointing out your privilege to you, it's as if they're telling you that you're a bad person. Okay. So, how to free ourselves from it? They're, they're kind of like a, it's like a two-step process. The first step is to recognize that privilege, more often than not, is something that you have since before you were born. Cannot possibly have anything to do with goodness or badness if it happened before you were born. But for the most part, you don't have choice in the matter. And there are complexities, and I'm going to leave them aside because, again, we're trying to focus on some distilled essences. What you do have choice about is how you engage with your privilege, because the privilege itself won't go away. Let's say that you were born to a rich family, and let's say you decide to give away your entire fortune. You cannot give away what your body absorbed from having had access to wealth. So even if you give away your entire wealth, you go look for a job, you're more likely to receive an offer than somebody else who wasn't born to wealth because you conduct yourself differently. <coughs> so the, the privilege by and large is there to stay. How do we engage with it is where we have choice. And I've kind of like broken it down into looking at it as having four negative ways of engaging with privilege and four positive ways. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I don't think I'm going to say anything that is entirely new, but somehow the, there's a simplicity to framing it in the way that I do that seems to be helpful to people. The four negative ways, and I will repeat it, are denial, guilt and shame, defensiveness, and entitlement. Any of these not clear or familiar? <coughs> the four positive ways, each of them is an antidote to one of the negative ways. The first one is to own the privilege. To own the privilege. Recognize that you have it. Speak it. Recognize it. Accept that this is the life you have. The life with the privilege that was given to you. And this is an antidote to the denial. Yeah. And it's as good a moment as any to correct something that I said earlier. I said something that was inaccurate when I was talking about the more, the further we are on the spiritual path, the harder it is to own power. It's not, uh, it's true and not true, so I want to refine it. 
the further we are on the path, on the spiritual path, the more tempting it is to, uh, to not own power. But ultimately, full spiritual maturity means a willingness to sit comfortably and openly in whatever is true, including our power and whatever its meanings are. Can I can I complicate it? This yeah. is a conversation we were having before. I think actually the even even more accurate statement would be the the further we are on the spiritual path, the more tempting it is to have a dysfunctional relationship with power because sometimes the temptation is to actually own it in an unhealthy way. Yeah. So so the relationship right. with power becomes more and more uh, important and the temptation and the, and the likelihood that, it, that, it's, that it's dysfunctional or, or not fully embodied increases. Yeah, right, because there can be a way of thinking, I'm so pure, I can use power, there's no problem, there's yes. no possibility of abuse. Yeah. And I don't think I need to say anything more. <laughs> so, so, back to privilege. Owning is an antidote to denial. Learning about the privilege is an antidote to guilt and shame. For example, if you look at white privilege and you learn the history of how white privilege came to be and what it means, you will be filled with sorrow. You will be filled with a sense of tragedy, but you will have tenderness and compassion because creating whiteness in this country was an act of violence towards white people. Yes, but it was specifically an act of violence towards people who then like, subsequently became white because it required of them to divest themselves of their actual culture, heritage, and ancestry, deny it, suppress it, and identify with essentially the white ruling elite. Um, and any anyone who is interested in learning more about it, there's vast in, uh, amount of information. Um, you can look up, in particular, if you if you like short. There's an article by a woman named Tandeka. That's T H A N D as in David E K A. And she wrote, in particular, an article shortly after the non-conviction of Darren Wilson in the killing of Mike Brown in Ferguson. And the article is called something like The Demon in Darren Wilson's Head. Absolutely stunning piece that condenses a lot of information into one article and can really bring compassion and tenderness. And yes, Marlena, of course, it was designed to separate working people because until whiteness was created, there was the danger that white workers and black workers and, and, and native people would come together, which they were starting to do, to stand up against the ruling elites, and that never happened. And that separation of working people is what we are living now in terms of the rise of Trump to power, is the latest incarnation of the same thing. So when you learn the history and the meaning of things, it frees you from guilt and shame and fills you with sorrow, which is generative. 
there cannot be an absence of sorrow for the privilege for the history that has resulted in so much separation and in giving some people um, um, I, I can't finish that sentence I will start it differently in setting things up in such a way that some groups needs are prioritized automatically in relation to other groups needs and it's whites in relation to people of color, it's men in relation to women, it's, we're not going to do the whole history of any of that here. It's just that as you learn the history, as you learn the dynamics of what operates, you are filled with sorrow. It is not comfortable. You cannot recover from the effects of privilege without feeling discomfort. But, the, but you don't have to feel shame. That's the second thing. The third positive way is to open yourself to feedback from people who don't have the particular form of privilege that you're working with. Because the dynamic so very often is that something happens, you do something unconscious, very rarely do you do things with the intent to harm. The person who doesn't have your particular form of privilege, speaks up. And what you say, instead of, wow, thank you, let me think about it, and taking it in, you say, but I didn't mean it. In which point, you move attention to your comfort from the reality of the effect of your privilege. And that is one of the dynamics of privilege that is most prevalent. So training yourself to welcome feedback from people who don't share your privilege is training in freedom. And the last thing, and the one that I particularly love, is that instead of entitlement, you cultivate stewardship. So instead of thinking that the benefit of your privilege comes to you automatically because that's just how it's set up. You dedicate your privilege for the benefit of all. That's the Bodhisattva Act. <coughs> so, a couple minutes of questions or do you have anything mm -hmm. you want to add? Any questions? Yeah. Um, you were, um, uh, microphone? Um, you were talking about um, spiritually um, evolved people. Um, I actually have the opposite problem. My awareness of the um, abuse of power freezes me into not taking leadership roles because of my fear of unconsciously yeah. abusing yeah. my power. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, absolutely. That's, that's part of it. Yeah, that's the, the, it's two sides. Of the same thing. That's the first thing Mickey said earlier today, is that the more we develop spiritually, the, the more tempting it is to not own our power, be precisely because of, what you, because of what you're saying, because there's such a sensitivity and a care and a vulnerability that we're afraid to own our power for fear of harming others. That's it. Yes, because we haven't seen power modeled in combination with love, the way Mickey was speaking earlier about what Dr. King said. So, really, please, I beg you, 
specifically you and all of you, step into your power and bring all your love with it. Challenge, subvert the models of power that we have. Especially the women. Because women are most, more likely than men to shy away from power. And I believe we're doing a disservice to ourselves and to the whole world by doing that. Other questions? I can't, I can't save you from the discomfort. <laughs> I, I mean it. I really want you to realize that I can't, I, it's not possible to fix it for you. I was, as I was coming here, and Aya was driving with me, who was here this morning and left, um, we were driving by um, a field where kids were playing in this beautiful green, and she was talking about just how she's losing the capacity to see that without thinking about the kids in Ramallah who don't have that. The, the thing is, we cannot solve this problem individually. Ultimately, we need to transform the structures of the world that make it possible for you to travel when others cannot. It's not going to be about you denying yourself. It's going to be about some collective transformation. Until then, you are just um, condemned to having to choose. Do you see what I mean? The person who doesn't have the privilege doesn't have the choice. They have tons of their own suffering, but this suffering is the suffering of privilege, inescapably so. That's why I'm saying condemn, not as in something bad is happening to you, but you can't escape it. You need to choose repeatedly. Why am I going traveling? that there is some piece there of entitlement that you will discover. So what if you have the money? Does that mean you have to travel? There is some way that we're so locked in the privilege belongs to me, the benefits belong to me, that it's hard to think beyond that. I'm challenging you to think beyond it. Not that you are guilty and you shouldn't, but to just please wrestle with it until you are convinced that you've gotten to the bottom underneath that gaping abyss of like, oh my God, what does it mean? You know, like all the way. Yeah? Which is a fantastic segue into an activity. So you, we'll hear from you and then do an activity. Oh no, hear from you and then... Ah, don't know what to do. <laughs> no, but somebody else has the microphone. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> and it's just a question of if we hear from both of you, mm. we have less time for the activity. I just don't know how to navigate. Uh, yeah, my question is around, uh, one thing I'm surprised I didn't hear from you is anything about relinquishing power as a, as a form of power itself. It's like it's pushing power to the edges or uh, as opposed to using it benevolently. And I'm just curious about what's the skillfulness about when to you. Uh, Making that choice of you, you thinking you're bringing like this this love to power as opposed to you know intentionally giving it to people who are not used to having the power themselves. Sure, 
all of it. I, there are no answers. <laughs> I, I am, I'm bringing you questions, not answers. In this field, we are all infants. Mm-hmm. The, the, the engaging positively mm-hmm. with privilege is a new activity for humans. Until not too long ago, it was just a foregone conclusion that humans were separated and divided, and some had and some didn't, and nobody questioned it. Now that it's being questioned, we have responsibility for deciding. We'll figure it out. You want to say what you wanted to say? Yeah. Right. I'm wondering if maybe we leave this pregnant. Yes. We do the activity and, and then, then come back. Yeah. Great idea. Thank you. So, the activity that we planned for you is um, very simple and not easy. Uh, inviting you to get into small groups yet again and if you can choose one more grouping with other people, with new people. Um, Do some review of some of the resources that you have that other people may not have. And consider what are you now doing with these resources? And then what would you like to do with these resources? Is the way that you're using the resources aligned with who you are, with what your values are, with what your priorities are? Or is it habitual and unconscious? And just think about it. And if you reaffirm the way you're using the resources, you reaffirm. There's no should here. There's no expectation, only conscious choice to align your, your use of resources with your deepest purpose and value and essence. So we'll do that, I guess, for about 10 minutes. This is an activity for the rest of your life, so this is just the beginning <laughs> to get a taste of what it means to be conscious around use of resources. Because our culture trains us, the culture here trains us to use resources only for our own well-being. So that's the questioning here. So what resources do you have access to? How are you currently using them? And is that aligned with your values and intention? How, would, how do you want to be using them to con- without any prejudgment of that? Can you give us some examples of what you mean by resources beyond Sure. I, 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 I can walk down the street um, uh, at night in where I live without being afraid that um, for my physical safety because I'm a man and because of where I live. That's, that's an example of a, privil- a resource that I have that, that comes to me uh, from privilege. I'll give you another example, which is after the Ferguson thing happened and you know, the whole thing broke open in the news. I said to myself, okay, I want to do something about it. What are the specific resources that I have access to? And what can I do to mobilize those resources to do something? 
And it was very clear to me right away that a resource that I have is that I have a network of people that follow me. And so I set up to have monthly calls. I started out with once a month, and now I do it twice a month. The calls are called Facing Privilege. I schedule them at different times. I use the very specific resource that I have to further in the world the possibility of positive engagement with resources, with, uh, yeah, with privilege, positive engagement with privilege. And people come on the calls and we do whatever arises. It's a place where people are free to grapple with whatever it is. You wouldn't be able to do the same thing because you don't have that resource. But you would need to think about what are your resources and what are you doing with them. Yeah? Clear? All right. Let's take 10 minutes. Yeah. So please finish your, your sentence. And let's come back together. If you can see my hand, raise yours and join the silence. Thank you. So to complete this activity, what we'd like to do is to invite you into some introspection and reflection on your, on your own to consider um, as you move forward, as you leave here today, what are some things that you would like to do to, uh, what's something concrete that you want to do and by when? Are we I don't think it was related to this activity, but to the whole group. Yeah. Because you said to complete this activity, so I'm okay. worried that it will keep sure. attention Thank you. on the resources yes. only. Yes. So, in... Why be sorry? Let's see if I can gracefully rephrase what I said. Um, in transitioning from this activity to closing our day, what we want to do is to invite you to reflect on the arc of our time together, all of the themes that we've touched on, the various areas that we've explored, and to consider what's something concrete that you want to commit to doing, and then a timeline for that. And to, and to write this down. So let's, let's take a few minutes just individually to reflect on this question and to write, it, write this down. A couple of examples could be, um, you know, what are some specific practices that you're, you want to use to support your resilience? Or how are you going to build uh, a support network for yourself in stepping into leadership? How do you want to use the resources you have differently? What is something you can do to step into leadership more in your life in the various roles or one of the roles that you have? So these are some of the examples that you might consider. Um, your support network, specific practices for resilience, your support network, uh, stepping into leadership, using your resources, creating space for mourning, Something specific that you're concrete that you can do and, uh, and a timeline for that. It could be more than one thing, but at, at least one.
It's our way of increasing the likelihood that this workshop will be not just a peak experience, but something that will result in the changes you want to see. People who just joined, we are doing, and a reminder for others, we're doing a moment of reflection and journaling about what specifically you see yourself doing following this workshop what practices, what actions, what use of resources, all the things that we did today, and by when do you want to take the particular action that you're choosing, one or more? So one other layer to this, if you like, if it would support you, you can also consider what's a way that you can hold yourself accountable to it. In other words, is there someone you want to uh, connect with here today and tell what you're going to do and exchange information and check in with each other? Is there someone else in your life you want to share this with? You put a reminder in your calendar, something like that, something you can do that's going to help you remember and help hold you accountable to that, if if that's supportive to you. So we'll take just another minute or, or two to finish this up. So as Mickey said at the beginning of the last activity, this is, this is a practice for the rest of our life, right? Just engaging with this question of how we want to continue moving forward and engaging in the world in a meaningful way that's in line with our intentions and our values and uh, who we are and how we want to contribute. I actually would like to add... Please... Uh, something I have a um, bias towards something some version of daily practice I, I, I don't <laughs> <laughs> ah okay I'm talking to meditators um, I, I'm to, uh, what I mean by daily practice is is, a, is where I know that there's some particular quality or or action or intention that I want to cultivate in my life and then a daily practice that surrounds that like I did a gratitude practice I shared earlier for a whole year so what you can do if you want to cultivate leadership in your life you can a daily practice that you can do uh, either at the beginning of the day or the end of the day if you do it at the beginning of the day you review what you know is coming in your day. And you mark places where you know there will be opportunities for stepping into more power. And prepare for it mentally. What am I going to do? And if this person says this, how will I respond? And prepare. That's the preparing for the day. And if you want to do it at the end of the day, you review your day. And you look at all the opportunities that you had for stepping into power. And when you did, you celebrate it. When you did it, you mourn it, and you imagine what you might have wanted to do instead. Doing either of those on a daily basis for a year, I'm confident, will change your life and make you a more powerful person, more able to lead. So we wanted to say a few words uh, about 
just in this in this vein about continuing and uh, access to resources and, and our own work. Um, <clears throat> uh, first, just a very sort of mundane announcement that Paige asked me to make. If you signed up for CEUs, don't forget to sign out uh, in the hallway on, on, on your way out. Um, uh, probably one of the best ways to stay in touch with uh, Mickey and me is to join our email lists individually. And then you'll hear about writing and workshops and events and free events. Uh, so you can do that on the, on the materials table out there. Uh, both of us have websites. Um, Mickey's uh, blog and website, thefearlessheart.org, is wonderful. It's a tremendous amount of resources. Um, and uh, uh, I appreciate you know, Mickey's thinking and analysis and insight on these issues, and you can read dozens and scores of articles that she's written on thefearlessheart.org. Um, the word the is part of the yes, name. Thefearlessheart.org. Yeah. So um, since Mickey might not do this, I'm going to kind of uh, advocate a little bit for some of her work uh, right now, um, uh, if you join her her mailing list and check on the fearlessheart.org or uh, also baynbc.org, which we're both a part of and list some of our events, uh, you'll find lots of information about uh, ongoing uh, events that Mickey holds, including the kind uh, the free uh, calls that she mentioned, facing privilege, and several other uh, theme based. Um, calls that that repeat on a regular basis, um, and along those lines, uh, if you if you value the work that we're doing here and the kind of perspective that's being shared, uh, and want to see more of it in the world, you can join uh, what's called a, a circle of support for Mickey's work. Um, many of her events, anything that she teaches where she's handling the registration um, is uh, essentially anyone can come regardless of their resources or finances. And many of her events are gift gift economy events, inc including these calls that I just mentioned. So if you want to see, see that work and support it. The calls are free. They're yeah. not gift economy. They're free. Yeah. Yeah, what, and, but, but what allows them to, to occur is the support that's received from others. So all of that information can be accessed through her mailing list and, and thefearlessheart.org. Thank you, Oren. Yes, you're welcome. And I will return the favor, and I will say that I, I looked at Oren's new program on his website, and it looks really quite amazing to me in terms of his thoroughness and capacity to support people on their meditation path. Yeah, and so... Uh, nextstepdharma.org nextstepdharma so in terms of having a daily practice and using the structures of practice in our day-to-day -day life to cultivate awareness and various qualities that we bring that's what this program is designed for so you can check that out online let's hear from okay. people yes 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 So we want to hear from you now, just in closing our day. Um, 
I want I want to frame it. There's something that happens at the end if people say what they're taking from the day, and pay attention to each what each other is saying, and say things that haven't already been said. It becomes a kind of a collective summary, and recap and settling. So let's do that for a few minutes and then end the day. Yeah. So like a like a, a gem, an essence, a, a distillation, something you're leaving here with. And think of it in terms of no more than one sentence. Yeah, Patrick. Did everybody hear it? A personal commitment to live more vulnerably with everyone around him. I, I will add something, uh, a quote from some, I can't remember who it's from, but if you have power, do more listening than talking. Hmm. If you don't have power, commit to speaking more than listening. <laughs> <laughs> the future is unknown. <laughs> we're, we're not going to stop being friends, it's not this. Yeah. Ah, yes. Okay, so maybe one more, and then I'll respond to your question briefly. Thank you for remembering. Before I speak, I want to just name there's something very intentional about having this be our closing, and I'm very, I'm very conscious and a little bit uncomfortable about adding something to the beauty and, and richness of what's occurring right now. So I just Maybe you can respond to him offline. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, yeah. so why don't, why don't we connect just afterwards about your question, if, that, if it's still alive for you. Do you, I'm not making eye contact with you, and I want to make sure... Oh, there you are. Oh, that's why. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Um, a reconnection to joy. So, why don't we end just with uh, a moment of quiet together, just taking all of this in, letting it grow and ripen inside of us. May these beautiful intentions and learnings in each of us continue to grow, deepen and unfold. And may they lead to action in our lives that we have the courage to speak the truth with love. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.